Welcome back, guys. It is Encounter with God te- section right here on Faith FM. We were, just having, we were just having a traumatic discussion here. Just conversation took a bit of a dark turn. But anyway, let's move on. Let's, um, we, need, we just need some, some brain bleach right now, I yep. think. Yep. <laughs> we were talking about dogs and the sad events when a dog needs to be put down. Yeah. And you like know, a lot of people really, I'm sure really have been through that. And know. I'm just feeling traumatised. Right now from the whole conversation. Okay, so on a ah, comes of growing up in the bush and doing the things that are necessities when you grow up in the bush sometimes and mm. it's just sad. Yeah. And it's probably a good thing that you feel sad about it, to be honest. Yes. That's probably better than not. Yep. Um, but moving on. Yes. A little bit happier things. Yes, please, please <laughs> cleanse like- my brain from this. Uh, we should get into our Bible study. Before we do, um, we've got a um, we've got a text message come through, and they're basically highlighting uh, an interesting passage in Revelation chapter thirteen, um, which you know does bring a level of comfort, I guess, at a time when you know you've got the COVID crisis going around, and it is definitely wiping out. No, I shouldn't say that. It's it's, it's definitely um, hitting hard mm. amongst the elderly. Aye. It's that's 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 where you're getting by far the vast majority of I think that what the median age for COVID death is eighty or something rather, mm. and so it's really really um, quite severe there. And there is this passage that I think we can take some level of comfort from in Revelation chapter fourteen. And verse 13, where it says, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Blessed, right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth mm. or from here on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. And when you read the end time scenarios that there are in the Bible and the crises that are coming on this world, and you know, the COVID crisis, I think, is very, very mild. Compared, you know, the Bible says, yeah, there'll be pestilences and diseases and so forth will be a sign that Jesus is coming back soon. But it's very, very mild compared to what you find written in the Bible. Mm. And you sort of think, okay, I've got some elderly family, and how are they going to deal with with what's coming? You know, how do you deal with that level of crisis? And so there there can be a level of comfort, I think, uh, sometimes when our when our elderly people that are unable to deal with crisis, are able to rest mm. rather than having to deal with the stress of what is taking place in our world right now. And I do believe that you know God does allow them to sleep sometimes because they've lived a good life, they've been blessed, they've been able to make a great contribution and now they can have rest rest from their labours and rest from their sleep. And the Bible says that their works follow them, yeah, that, yeah. that God remembers everything they've done. And uh, and we need to remember everything they've done as well, yeah. Um, and all of the blessings that they have brought to our world. Yes. All right. So that's kind of stayed serious. I did, but that's okay. <laughs> sometimes serious is good. Yes. Because it, sometimes it is we an need important to be serious. thing, right? This is that's what right. is happening in our world, and you know, if you're someone who, particularly like your grandparents, are going through something, like it is hard. It is hard for those who. See someone going through something. I find this verse particularly comforting for people who have suffered a lot of pain mm. in their final years. Yeah. 
that, okay, they've suffered a lot of pain, but now they're able to rest. Mm. Because when you're in pain, it's really the one thing you want to do, isn't it? You want to just rest. Mm. You want to be free from that pain and you want to rest. Absolutely. And if you're somebody who has lost somebody recently, then uh, in those kind of circumstances, then you can take comfort that they are resting. They are waiting for the resurrection. They are in that, uh, in that sleep that is a perfect sleep and that the next thing that they will see is the face of Jesus Christ. And that's a pretty good thing to wake up to. It's yeah. you got to say, like, out of all the things you can wake up to, uh-huh. that's not something you're going to be moaning about. Not at all. It is. It is absolutely the, uh, the the greatest promise that there is in the Bible. Yeah. And so, yes, please do do take comfort from uh, from these passages. Acts chapter nine. Let's go to Acts chapter nine. We've got a great story here. We've got a, a, a personal testimony story that we're going to be looking at, um, and a testimony of great faith. So Acts chapter 9, why don't you start for us in verse 3, please, Minnie. 3 through 6. Yep. Okay. So as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, this is Paul, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Okay, so this is a pretty, pretty dramatic experience that Paul oh, is, taking, yeah. is having right here. And it sort of raises that question a little bit, uh, you know, um, should we pray for people like, say, Xi Jinping? Uh, we were, we I don't were, know who that is. The uh, president of China. Okay, yeah, right, right. Um, prime Minister? I think it's Prime the Minister. The person in charge. Yeah, the, 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 the guy. <laughs> You know who is is bitterly persecuting Christians mm. and Muslims and and people of all faiths, people of any religion, um, building massive concentration camps, throwing enormous amounts of people into incarceration. Uh, you know, on a scale that has not been seen in our world probably ever before. Mm. Uh, in at one time, you know, because the Nazis, you know, they did this kind of stuff, but they spread it over, out over a bunch of years. Yeah, maybe Russia would come close. I don't know. But you look at these really, really evil regimes and what they have done, and you see it happening right now. And it's like, okay, do you pray for somebody like that? You know, do you pray for Adolf Hitler? Well, he's dead now, so it's a bit late. But um, you know, can a person who is a bitter persecutor of Christ actually turn around? I mean, according to this story, you this is to, you have to say yes. This is Saul who became Paul. Yeah. So Saul, Saul was his Hebrew. By the way, Saul was his, was the Hebrew way of saying Paul, and Paul was the Greek way of saying Saul. Hey. Yeah, just in case you're wondering why he's got two names. But in the how Bible. come he's only Saul before his conversion, and then he's only Paul after? If it's the same name, why does it matter? This is a very good question. I'm so glad you asked. Brilliant, brilliant. Tell All right, the, the Bible says that where Paul was called to be an apostle to who? Jesus. Specific group of the group of people. Or to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. Ah, and yeah. what was the lingua franca of the Gentiles? Well, they spoke Greek. Greek. Interesting. Yes. I've never even put that together. See, I always thought that, I mean, there are other stories where, you know, you have Abram becomes Abraham. So, That's right. You know, so there is, it's not totally unknown. Or Jacob becomes Israel. So I was like, maybe something. But they're total this. changes of names. They're total changes of names. But this is very similar. This is, this is like really, really close. And it relates to his calling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Ah, the Bible is always so interesting. The but, Yes, go. No, I was going to say the point that you just raised, though, about do we pray for the people who are persecuting. I think 
that was a really good observation because it's easy if if you've read the Bible, if you know the story, you're like, oh, he was this and now he was this and it was great and we have all these letters and he was a missionary. But we know from later in the story, I don't know if we're going to read it, but later in the story, when he comes to the Christians, they're like, oh, no, we know who you are. We don't want a piece of that. And I think if we look at it in our terms, we have the people that we're like that. We'd be like, mm, I don't know that we trust that. I don't know that that's a true conversion. Yeah, so let's say that you're worshipping in a uh, underground church in China somewhere mm. and Xi Jinping turns up. Oh. How do you respond? You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Be interesting actually this morning to hear from anybody who may have uh, um, come from a country where Christianity was uh, oppressed, mm. uh, whether they faced any levels of persecution at all uh, for their faith. It's something that is so very real in our world today and yet here in Australia we basically feel like it would be another planet where something like that would happen. Yeah, uh-huh. But the reality is, I mean, how long does it take to get to China? Maybe 10 hours? Could be. Probably yeah. at the most, 8, 10 <laughs> hours and, you, and, and you're in, and you, and you're in a, a part of the world where terrible, terrible things are happening. And China, I'm just using China because China was in the news today. Mm. But there are many other places. Many world. other places. Yeah. Many other places where uh, Christianity has been, you know, severely repressed. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, okay, but Paul was one of these people. He was somebody who was throwing people into prison. He was he was carting them off for execution. He was going to wipe out the religion of Christianity. He was going to his aim was to capture and to kill every single person who was a Christian so that there was no seed of Christianity left anywhere in the world. Mm. He wanted to immunize the world against Christianity. And yet he became one of the greatest uh, New Testament writers, um, the second most prolific New Testament writer after Luke. Um, we have you know, so many of his letters that are still available, so much influence on the early Christian church. God did great things through Paul. I actually find this story really interesting because if we look at Jesus' life on earth, it was literally like God in humanity, right? God in human form. And you had a whole bunch of religious leaders who just seem completely deaf to God speaking to them. And then you have this guy who he's to the point that he is willing to kill. Yes. And yet God speaks to him directly and he's like, okay, something's happening. Do you know what I mean? Like, All right, okay, so here's an interesting question. Why do you think God spoke so directly to Paul? I've got some thoughts on this, but I want to know your idea. Ooh. Why do you think he spoke so directly to Paul and yet – to our knowledge, he never ever did that to say Xi Jinping or mm-hmm. Osama bin Laden or you know somebody else like that. Look, I also have many opinions about this. <laughs> um, no, one of them that I have wondered about is was it something to do with the, that he was very misguided in his persecution, but he had a faithful heart to what he believed to be true. Yes. Like was that so? That, so that I think that would definitely was a factor. Do you know what I mean? Because that he way, was a true-hearted person. Yes, misguided, totally misguided. But so that when God actually speaks to him, because we see, because when he becomes a missionary, he goes just as hard out for now sharing the gospel and Jesus is Messiah. Like he seems to just have that in him at this point to be like, if this is the truth, then I'm faithful in with my whole being to this truth. So that's like something I've wondered. I'm just like, well, maybe it's something to do with that. I don't. What are your what are your summer thoughts? Give me one of your opinions. I believe someone was praying for Paul. Yes, 
hard out. I believe that someone was earnestly, earnestly praying for Paul. I believe that our prayers give God opportunity to work that he would not have otherwise the opportunity to do. And often uh, we look at these horrific characters from around the world that are doing terrible things to people of of, of faith or of Christianity or whatever it might be, and we don't want to pray for them. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. You know, do you want to sit next to this person in heaven? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a good point because Paul often talks about I'm praying for you and he'll be writing to a church who is in just, just they're a mess. The whole church. The whole church they're is all of them. It's just, just like walk away, start over, just you know. Yeah, but he doesn't. He goes, Don't. I make mention of you every day. And he he understood that if we want to see change, we gotta pray for these people. Yes. We want the spirit to come. We I need to pray for you like my my life depends on it. You know? So we might pray for the Uyghur Muslims in, in, in China. Mm-hmm. Um we definitely want to pray for uh, the underground church in China and persecuted Christians in China because, you know, they're of the same faith as us. And uh, so, you know, the underground church, the, the, the Christians there, we have a, a closer connection for them. We pray for the Uyghur Muslims because we pray for religious liberty and we believe in religious liberty. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of things that we share with them as well. But do we pray for Xi Jinping? Mm. I mean, you think about that. If he had a Damascus Road experience, would China be a different place? Yeah. Ooh. Yep. You know, the Bible says that we should pray for our leaders, our political leaders. And when when yeah. and when when the Bible says that in the New Testament, it's talking about the emperors of Rome. Mm, who are you know, crazy. Do you do you pray for Nero? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to sit next to ne- next to Nero in heaven? I mean, this is a guy who would uh, take Christians and cover them with tar and hang them on poles around his backyard when he had a garden party and light them up. Yeah. While they're alive. Yeah. Do you want to sit next to that person in heaven? That's uh yeah. No, no, and this is a good point though, because for yeah. any you could almost use that argument for any politician today. How easy is it to complain about? Oh, this person's a da da da. Oh, that was a dumb da. You know, pick what you want. And pick, look, and I find for me the friends who are Christians, particularly if there are political leaders who say they're Christian and doing things we don't like, it's still a lot easier to complain about them being a bad Christian than to pray for them. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just we like to complain, I think, sometimes as humans. But what would it actually look like if we were like, okay, this time that I'm willing to spend moaning, nah, I'm going to bring this person to Jesus. Maybe we don't get to see a change. What if we did? Indeed. What if we did? All right, uh, let's continue on in the story. We got up to verse 6, did we? We did. Let's move down to verse uh, 10 through 20. Okay, so now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me to you so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Instantly, something like scale fell fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. Okay. (laughs) Doesn't that just send chills up and down your spine? so good. I wonder why God chose Ananias. Yeah. Out of all of the Christians, why choose this guy? Now, once again, I am going to speculate. Just for a moment. What are your speculations? Was Ananias the guy that was praying for him? Ooh. And then when God, you know, comes along and says, "Okay, you need okay, to go I've and see," some he's like, "Yeah, no, 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 no." I mean, that would be such a human thing to do, wouldn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless of the fact, Ananias is super sus. Mm. It's like, Lord, what, what, what are, you, what are you saying right now? Mm. Why are you telling me to go there and to say this to this guy? Mm-hmm. You know. Are you, are you sure, God? Are you sure you've got? The, are you sure this guy's not trying to infiltrate us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like as if us as human beings have a better idea of, uh, you know, Saul's infiltration tactics or otherwise than what God does. Uh-huh. You know, that's a very, very natural human reaction. But even though it's a natural human reaction, Ananias goes, mm. and he's placing his life. In his hands, here you've got somebody who's fled for his life from Jerusalem. He's gone up to Antioch, uh, where were we? Damascus, mm. um, and he's gone up to Damascus and he's found some. You know, he's, he's there as a refugee. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's like, okay, go and talk to the guy who made you a refugee. Mm. Yeah, it's you know, true. I I love that though. That it, yeah, it's he still has his questions, perhaps, but it doesn't stop him from going. Yes. You know the street called the street called Straight is still there in Damascus. Hey, that's cool. Did you go there? No, because okay. uh, we weren't allowed into Syria, right? Um, for yeah, obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But um, it uh, <clears throat> yeah, so the street called Straight is still there, but the original roadway they say is about you know sixty feet below the current one. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> it's just kind of kind of grown over the years as things tend to do. Uh, in the Middle East. We're going to come back in just a moment. We're going to continue with this story. We're going to go to the other end of Paul's life. We're going to look at uh, Acts 28 and 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 5 to 8, if you want to look ahead in those verses. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Acts chapter 28, verse 28 is where we're going to next. So if you get a chance, turn there in your Bibles and let's see what we can find here. Acts 28, verse 28 to 31. Okie doke. So it says, So I want you to know that this salvation from God has been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Which is kind of pretty cool, eh? He was under house arrest. He's like, well, I'm under house arrest, but I'm in the city of Rome. And he's pretty famous by this particular point. Aye, yeah. Particularly uh, in Europe. Mm. Uh, he's, he's, he's taken the gospel to Europe. He's taken the gospel to, um, you know, Western Asia. But now he's taken it to He was the first person to take the gospel to Europe. Mm. He has created a certain level of division wherever he's gone. Uh, they do say that there's no such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> There's just publicity. He's certainly received a lot of publicity. And we've got people having a crack at the quiz already. Brilliant. brilliant. They're trying to get double prize to get in ahead of me this morning, so <laughs> well done. 
Uh, if you know the answer, do, do give us a call, 1-800-324-843, or text us on 0491-064-669. So Paul is, 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 is in Rome, and he's renting a house there. He's under house arrest, but he doesn't just sort of sit back and say, well, you know, bummer about that. Mm. He is out there, and he is preaching the gospel, and anyone who comes by, and you can imagine that there would be a lot of people who would come by to meet this person, meet this famous person, take a selfie, no, <laughs> um, but the equivalent thereof back in the day, say, hey, I went and spent some time with Paul. That would certainly be something to talk about later on in your life. And to ask questions and every person who comes into his home, he's witnessing to them. He's sharing Amazing. Jesus with them. He's sharing the story. He's sharing his testimony. Yeah. So his testimony stays with him right the way through his life. Yeah. You know what I find interesting? Now, this is not written explicitly in the Bible, but I read, I can't even remember where it was, but... Um, and author Ellen White wrote that if people had prayed for Paul the way they'd prayed for Peter, uh, like circumstances might be different, but the reason they didn't was because of jealousy. And I just find that really interesting because we know with Peter, we, we looked at this the other week, right? He's in jail. The people are praying. When he comes out, they're so shocked and excited because they've been praying for him. <laughs> they're shocked that they're shocked that their prayers are answered. <laughs> what? What, a, what a shocking thing. Yeah. And then just in light of what we were just talking about before, like are we willing to pray for people that we maybe don't think are great? I think it's very interesting that he goes through this trial. He actually knows. He gets the point, not right here, but he knows that he's going to die for his faith. Yes. And the people don't pray for him. And I just wonder, like, and, and the would fact there is, a difference? The, the reality is he is in prison because of Christians. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Christians who were jealous of him and his ministry and uh, created an environment so that when he went to Jerusalem, he ended up landing himself in prison. Yeah. And then they didn't pray for him. Mm-hmm. Hard heart, say. Oh, I tell you, it's a, it's a commentary on human nature, and it tells us, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many things that are a commentary on human nature, but it tells us that we need to not just believe in Jesus Christ with our mind, we need to have Jesus Christ in our heart. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that we pray for those that we do not like. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 to 8. Second Timothy chapter four, verse five to eight. Yes, let me just. I say okay. Four verse five to eight says, "But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given to you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God." The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to this appearing. Okay, so this is the end of Paul's life. Mm. He is about to be executed. This is possibly written days, Mm. even hours before his execution. But a very, very short time before he's executed. Has the experience, has the Damascus Road experience stayed with him during that time? Oh, yeah. He has got no question, does he? He's not even, not even a hint of doubt in his mind. Yeah. You know? And this is one of the things I love about this passage, you know, when you work your way through it, is the confidence. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is near. I've fought the good fight. I've finished my course. Mm. I'm done. It's, but it's been great. And when you think about Paul's life, when Paul was Saul, 
when he was an up-and-coming lawyer trained by Gamaliel. He had the opportunity to be amongst the elite of Jerusalem. Mm. Now, what you've got to remember is that Jerusalem had the second largest economy in the world in those days. We shouldn't be surprised at that. Jewish people have always had a knack for making money, Mm -hmm. doing well. And so it had the second largest economy in the world after the uh, after the city of Rome, which ruled the whole world. So that tells you something about what was happening in Jerusalem. And he was one of the brightest stars in the elite of that city. You know, he could have, he would have lived in wealth, in luxury. He would have had the accolades of the brightest men in the nation. He would have had, you know, political support. He would have been able to, uh, you know, be involved in all kinds of interesting court cases as a lawyer. This guy was set for life. Mm. He meets Jesus on the Damascus Road and he turns his back on all of that. And he lives a life of suffering and pain and sacrifice beyond what we can even begin to imagine. That is not normal human nature. (laughs) No, this is not normal human nature at all. This is the opposite. And then he comes to the end of his life and he's like, it was so totally worth it. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It's time now for... Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Ah, we caught it. (laughs) Yeah, see, we could see that Liam was distracted this morning, so we caught him all alive. All right, let's try this again. It's time now for... Question of the day. Uh, Epic. Okay, so here comes a question from a listener in Daniel 8. Uh, We see the little horn is Rome, but some people say it's Antiochus Epiphanes. That's Antiochus IV. Um, What does the Bible say? So that's the question we're going to look at right now. Uh, the Bible says that it is Rome very, very clearly and very, very emphatically. Uh, and we'll look at three different evidences for that. First of all, you have the principle of repeat and enlarge. This is a principle of understanding Bible prophecy. In Daniel chapter 2, you've got four medals. In Daniel chapter 7, you've got four uh, beasts. Um, they go Babylon, Medo, Persia, Greece, Rome each time. In Daniel chapter 10 through 12, you've got the uh, various kings uh, named and described, and it goes Babylon, Medo, Persia, Greece, Rome. In fact, Babylon gets missed out in the later chapters because it falls. Daniel 8 is one of those later chapters where Babylon is missed out, so it simply goes Medo, Persia, Greece, Rome. So you've got the same sequence four times in the book of Daniel. Medo, Persia, Greece, Rome. Medo, Persia, Greece, Rome. Medo, Persia, Greece, Rome. Is God seriously going to come along and go, oh, surprise, surprise, just while you were thinking that this would be Rome, it's actually um, Antiochus Epiphanes, who is otherwise known in today's world as Antiochus who? Because <laughs> nobody's ever <laughs> no, heard of the yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. right? Unless you know Bible history. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so there's the first thing to look at. The second thing to look at is this. The Bible says in its description of the Persians, uh, describes the Persians as being like a ram, and it says that uh, the, the, the ram was pushing west and north and south. No beast could stand before him. Uh, he did according to his will, and he became great. Mm. That's Persia. Yes. Persia was conquered by the Greeks. Yeah. The Bible describes the Greeks coming along as being a, 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 as a goat, and in verse 8 it says, Therefore the goat grew very great. Mm. Very great is greater than great. Yes. Right? It says that you've, you've got an, you know, you, to conquer one empire that comes before you, you've got to be greater than the one that you're conquering. And so the Greek empire was greater than the Persian empire. It conquered the Persian empire. Mm. 
Doesn't it also that say that sense. it's Greek, like in there? Doesn't it say? Yes. That, yeah. Absolutely. So it says explicit. in plain language, this is the nation of Greece. Yeah. 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 So it goes. The first one is is Persia. The second one is Greece. So we know where it gives you those two, just so that you like. Yeah, we're all on the same page here. It's the same as the prophecies that went before it. Okay. Yes. Then it goes to the next one. So what comes after Greece? You mean yeah, the kingdom Bar- yeah, yeah, Persia, so then Rome. Per- yeah. Rome. Then comes Rome. Yeah. This is where some people are like, oh, no, but it was Antiochus Epiphanes. <laughs> no. No, we know, we know it's The Bible says that the next one is a, described as a little horn and he becomes mm. exceeding great. Yes. Exceeding great is greater than very great, which is greater than great. Great, yeah. <laughs> there is no way in any universe that Antiochus Epiphanes was greater than the Greek Empire. He was, he was a minor king yeah. of the Seleucid Empire, the Seleucid Kingdom in Syria, who marched on Egypt and was stopped by a single Roman general who drew a line in the sand with his stick. This general was armed with a stick. <laughs> Didn't even carry a sword. He's just armed with a stick, drew a line of the stick. And, and he said, if you step across that line, you can consider yourself to be at war with the Republic of Rome. And he fumed and fussed and carried on and turned around and went home and abused the Jews on his way through just because he was angry. Hmm. All right. So there's the second point. The first point is repeating in large. The second point is that whoever the little horn is has to be greater than the Greek Empire. You only have one option. Mm-hmm. That's Rome. Yes. All right. Third point, the Bible says, Then I said one saint speaking to another saint said to that certain saint which spake, this is verse 13, concerning uh, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the abomination of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. And people say, well, this the abomination of desolation was when Antiochus Epiphanes offered a pig on the altar in Jerusalem uh, about 200 years before Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Except that if you go to Matthew 24, the Bible says, Jesus says in verse 15, when you therefore shall see mm-hmm. the abomination of desolation. Is that past tense or future tense? No, that's to come. That is future tense. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. When Jesus lived... Several centuries after Antiochus Epiphanes, Jesus clearly says the abomination of desolation has not yet come. Mm. So you cannot believe in Antiochus Epiphanes and Jesus Christ. (laughs) You've got to choose between the two. Mm. It's that simple. If you believe in Jesus, it's impossible that Antiochus Epiphanes is uh, the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 8. Now, if you don't believe in Jesus, go nuts. Mm -hmm. I believe in Jesus. He tells you the answer. All right, that's enough. Uh, let's go to the Lesser Light Collective with the Little Horn Takes the Stage. Here it comes. Listen to this one. Prophets portray the nations as creatures So say the eschatology teachers Drama played out, narrated by preachers now Many years after Nebuchadnezzar Prophecy came first year of Belshazzar Wind on the sea, then four predators Wow. 
Lion with eagle wings it towered Lopsided bear all others devoured Four-headed leopard it overpowered the bear Then came the fourth defying description Crushing and cruel Just at the moment evil comes raging Calling an end to the wars and the waging Who comes along and moves all the staging? God! Ancient of days, white hair and white robe River of fire flows from his white throne Myriad angels all of the Big things can become small things If they usurp the king of kings And persecute saints And tamper with God's commandments Claiming to be him When he certainly ain't System of shame, you child abuser, intending to change God's holy seven, trampling the cross, blaspheming heaven, your pain to life on earth, a blight, a plague, an ever corrupting curse, deceiving the world where prophecy speaks and we will know who you are. When the little horn takes the stage. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.